SBS, a world of difference. You're with NITV Radio, on mobile, online and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV broadcasts from, the Camaragal people of the Gringai Nation and their elders, past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to. From the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from freshwater to saltwater. Yiridamarang, hello, I'm your host Luana Grant and welcome to NITV Radio for this Wednesday the 5th of July. This week on NITV Radio, we continue to share interviews paying tribute to this year's theme for our elders, who are the fabric of our communities as our knowledge holders and our teachers. Our elders gift us with cultural knowledge and their wisdom gives us strength and resilience through sustained connection with culture, country and community. Our elders are sacred and it is through them that the practice and maintenance of culture is preserved for future generations. Coming up in the program today, a special conversation with Wiradjuri woman Letitia Harris, the Wiradjuri language teacher at Charles Sturt University for the Graduate Certificate in Wiradjuri Language, Culture and Heritage. In this special interview, we speak with Letitia about her involvement in teaching Wiradjuri language and the elders she looks up to who have made an impact on her life as we continue to pay tribute to our elders during NAIDOC week. Also coming up on today's show, we will share a story about Herman, an Aboriginal aged care worker from Broome, about the importance of Indigenous representation in the aged care sector. And we'll also catch up with Wiradjuri woman, journalist and TV presenter, Ray Johnston, one of the co-hosts joining Ernie Dingo to explore the continent on the fifth season of Going Places with Ernie Dingo. All these stories and more coming to you after the latest news. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy directed outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. In this bulletin, Indigenous Affairs Minister Linda Burney to outline four main policy areas of voice referendum. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese rejects claims that the government needs to do more to keep interest rates from rising. And Israeli troops have begun their withdrawal from the city of Jenin. The federal government has revealed the voice to parliament is to be asked to give advice on four main Indigenous policy areas if a referendum to be held later this year is successful. Minister for Indigenous Australians Linda Burney is speaking at the National Press Club in Canberra today and expected to outline the priorities, health, education, jobs and housing. While several recent polls have found support for a yes vote is slipping, Ms Burney says Australia needs new perspectives to solve old challenges. She added it's time for the Constitution to recognise Indigenous Australians who have coexisted on this continent for more than 65,000 years. A Perth hospital has denied neglecting a one-year-old Indigenous girl who died in its care amid claims staff were racist and lied to the child's family. Kaylee was admitted to Perth Children's Hospital last Wednesday, where she later passed away. 
Kaylee's mother, Charmaine Blurton, has claimed medical staff lied about her daughter's condition after she rushed to the hospital for help. Deputy Chair of the state's Deaths in Custody Watch Committee, Desmond Blurton, has called on the government to take responsibility for the actions of the health system. Aboriginal people have become victims of a racist medical system where a young child, Aboriginal child, Kaylee, rest in dream time, was taken too soon from a young family. The treatment meted out to the little girl was undoubtedly subhuman and the doctor involved should be taken to task for mistreatment and abuse of a young child. An Aboriginal community-controlled organisation which offers domestic violence support to women is expanding its services to Western Victoria. Jera has opened a centre in Melton on the western outskirts of Melbourne. Its chief executive, Antoinette Braybrook, says the centre will serve a wide area. This centre will have reach beyond Melton to Ballarat and Horsham, where we know there is great need. Even before the data was collated and the evidence was in, we knew that Melton was an area of need. Melton has the highest rate of family violence incidents in Melbourne's northwest, and the most common offence people are charged with in Melton is breaching an intervention order. Emotions are high in central Queensland after a long-running native title claim was rejected. The Gungaloo people have been fighting for native titles since 2012. Gungaloo doctor Sam Toby told The Point her father lived and died for native title and for the acknowledgement of existence. My homelands, I don't own the land. The land owns me. I am genetically imprinted into this country. I did not migrate down a land bridge. We have been here since time began. That is Gungaloo country. The iconic Montague Island off the New South Wales south coast has been given a dual Indigenous name in honour of the cultural significance of the island to the Yuan people. The Environment Minister, Penny Sharp, says the Aboriginal name, Barangaba, will sit alongside the non-Indigenous name. The island off Naruma is valued as a significant ceremonial area and is also home to several seabird species. It is also one of the largest little penguin colonies in the state and is home to hundreds of Australian and New Zealand fur seals. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese rejected claims that the federal government isn't doing enough to ensure that the Reserve Bank will not continue to increase interest rates. It comes after yesterday's announcement by the RBA's board that they will be pausing interest rates at 4.1% without ruling out a further rate hike. But Mr Albanese told Channel 7 the economy is influenced by outward factors that the government has no control over. Yet, despite that, Australia is in a better position than most advanced countries. Uh, we have had global inflation. Uh, has been had a real impact here as it has around the world. Our interest rates are still uh, lower, of course, than they are in Europe and the United States, uh, even uh, across the ditch. And uh, that's why uh, we are working each and every day. We, we do have record jobs growth, we do have an increased surplus and we do have lower inflation. Indonesian President Yoko Widodo is set to depart after his three-day visit to Australia. 
During his stay, he met Prime Minister Anthony Albanese and the two leaders agreed on several issues such as visa changes, climate initiative funding and education partnerships. Mr Albanese announced Indonesians will be able to access extended business visas for Australia, increasing from three to five years, while Indonesian e-passport holders will be prioritised. As the Indonesian president departs, the federal government is finalising its Southeast Asia economic strategy to 2040. Israeli troops have begun to withdraw from the West Bank city of Jenin after the conclusion of their military operations, during which 12 people were killed and another 100 were injured, according to reports. The operation, which the army said was aimed at destroying infrastructure and weapons of militant groups in the camp, was launched with a drone strike in the early hours of Monday and over 1,000 troops were deployed. Israeli army spokesman Daniel Hagari says the operation in the camp was targeting what he called terror infrastructure. This operation is only against the terror infrastructure inside Jenin camp. It's not an invasion. It's not against the Palestinian Authority. It's not against the Palestinian forces. It's only against the infrastructure and terrorists inside the Jenin camp. This is what it is. The camp where some 14,000 people live has been one of the focal points of a wave of violence that has swept the West Bank for more than a year, drawing growing international alarm. Police say a gunman in a bulletproof vest has opened fire on the streets of Philadelphia, killing five people and wounding two boys before he surrendered to officers. No connection was immediately known between the victims and the shooter. Tim Eads, one of the witnesses to the incident, describes the scene. So I was sitting in the window right here and I looked out of the window. I heard gunshot wound or gunshot, sorry, gunshots. And there was a shooter right there behind my red car uh, shooting a pistol into this street. I couldn't see the whole corner or anything, so I wasn't sure what he was shooting at. But within seconds, there were like 50 cops on this corner trying to figure out what was going on. So, Rescuers are carrying out evacuations as floods triggered by torrential rain continue to affect places in central and southern China. Local media reports that rescuers use drones to deliver life jackets and a secure rope to a man trapped in the middle of a flooded river. There has been no official reports on casualties from the floods. Monday, July 3rd was the planet's hottest day ever recorded, according to data from the U.S. National Centers for Environmental Prediction. The average global temperature reached 17 Celsius, surpassing the August 2016 record of 16.92 Celsius as heat waves sizzled around the world. The southern United States has been suffering under an intense heat dome in recent weeks. In China, an enduring heat wave continued with temperatures above 35 degrees. North Africa has had temperatures near 50 degrees, and even Antarctica, recently in its winter, registered high temperatures. Former tennis legend Ash Barty and partner Gary Kissick have announced the birth of their first child. Via a post on Instagram, the multi-Grand Slam winner showed a picture of a healthy baby boy. The post goes on to say, Our beautiful boy, welcome to the world, Hayden. Several people rushed to congratulate Barty and Kizik on the birth of their baby. Among them was Matilda star Sam Kerr and tennis player Madison Inglis. And in tennis, the rain that hit the All England club was the main star of the first day of Wimbledon, forcing many games to be suspended. Despite the poor weather conditions, some of the favourites, such as number one seed Carlos Alcaraz and last year's winner Novak Djokovic, were still able to advance to the second round. 
In the women's singles, world number one Inga Swiatek was also able to secure her place in the next round, as were Tunisian world number two Onus Jaber and last year's winner Eleanor Rybakina. Games are expected to resume today. And now a look at today's weather. Broome, sunny 16, Perth, showers easing 16, Adelaide, a late shower or two 17, Melbourne, partly cloudy 15, Hobart, cloudy 14, Aubrey-Wodonga, cloudy 11, Canberra, a shower or two 14, Wollongong, mostly sunny 20, Sydney, much the same 21, Newcastle, sunny 21, Brisbane, early showers 24, Townsville, partly cloudy 27, Cairns, a shower or two 30, Alice Springs, partly cloudy 18, Darwin, mostly sunny 32, and the Torres Strait Islands, cloudy 29. And that is NITV Radio News. TV Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online. Have you heard some of the great podcasts that SBS creates, including ours? You can find them on the SBS Audio app and website. Each year, we also invite podcast ideas from the public to commission new podcasts from diverse Australian voices. Do you have a story to tell? If you have an idea for a podcast series that would feel at home on SBS, we want to hear from you. Submit your pitch via our website until July 31. For more information, please visit sbs.com.au slash podcast pitch. Welcome back to NITV Radio. I'm your host, Luana Grant. Still to come on the program, we'll be catching up with journalist and TV presenter Ray Johnston, one of the co-hosts joining Ernie Dingo to explore the continent on the fifth season of Going Places with Ernie Dingo, returning to NITV screens this Saturday. We will also share a story from an Aboriginal aged care worker from Broome about the importance of Indigenous representation in the aged care sector. But first, Letitia Harris is a proud Wiradjuri woman and Wiradjuri language teacher at Charles Sturt University. My pop, Dr Stan Grant Sr., has created a legacy dedicating his life to the revival of Wiradjuri language, for which he won the NAIDOC Lifetime Achievement Award last year at the 2022 National NAIDOC Awards. In this very special interview, I speak with Letitia about her journey and involvement in teaching Wiradjuri language and the elders she looks up to and who have made an impact on her life as we continue to pay tribute to our elders during NAIDOC Week. Wiradjuri language has been passed down to me by my pop, Stan Grant Sr., He has spent a lifetime dedicated to revitalising the Wiradjuri language for our people. Together with linguist the late John Rudder, he wrote the first Wiradjuri language dictionary and other teaching resources. He has travelled all across Wiradjuri Nurembung, Wiradjuri country, to teach language at schools, TAFEs, juvenile detention centres, jails and wherever he could to teach language. Pop's life's wish is to see his language spoken again, and the legacy that he is passing down is one I feel honoured to continue, not just as a Wiradjuri person, but as his oldest grandchild. 
the Wiradjuri Language, Culture and Heritage course was set up at the Charles Sturt University, and over the years the course has continued to flourish and grow in enrolments year on year. Last year, along with my auntie and cousins, I graduated from the course with my pop there to witness our achievements. And also last year, my pop received the NAIDOC Lifetime Achievement Award at the 2022 NAIDOC Awards for his lifetime of work revitalising the Wiradjuri language. I was lucky enough to sit down and interview Letitia Harris, who is the language teacher at Charles Sturt University for the Wiradjuri Language, Culture and Heritage course. She speaks to us about her language journey and pathway to teaching language, the future of Wiradjuri language, and the elders that have inspired her and had an impact on her life. Firstly, can you please introduce yourself in Wiradjuri and give the listeners a quick introduction as to what you said and the background of introducing yourself in language? Ngati Bapin Bala Ray Harris, Ngati Batin Bala Viola Ingram, married name Harris, Bala Tu Guyal Darangila. So I just said, today my name is Letitia Harris. My family are Ingrams and Kemps. My father is Ray Harris, my grandmother is Viola Ingram, and I belong to Kuyal Creek, that is my people and my identity. And when did you first start your Wiradjuri language journey? This is pretty deadly. So firstly, I was an Aboriginal education assistant at St. Clair's College in Canberra and your grandfather was working for ACT education and I was working for Catholic Ed. Um, Arnie Judy Harris, I said, I want I want Uncle Stan Grant to come in and speak to students. You know, my dad and my uncle knew Uncle Stan really well and Honey, Judy Harris, she says to me, just ask him. And Uncle Stan said, I work for public education and you work for Catholic education. And he went to the powers that be there, uh, the director at the time, and he said, now I've got this girl, she wants me to come into the school. And I was like 18 or 19, so young. They said to him, Stan, you can do whatever you want. That's fine, you can do it. And he went, great. Oh, anyway, blew my mind. He came into the school and I was so wrapped, it was so deadly. And when he came into the class, and I went real proud, I'm going to introduce Uncle Stan Grant. And like, yeah, and he can speak language. It's so solid. Anyway, he told me to sit down. <laughs> sit down over there, Bob. Um, and then he got up and he introduced himself in fluent Radri, and I felt electricity in my body. And it was like my body knew it. My Everything knew it. It was just like every hair on my body stood up and it just lifted me. Like I'd never felt anything like that before hearing my language. And that was the first time I've ever heard it fluent. Then six years later, I'm in Sydney and I found Uncle Christopher Kirkbright, Annie Cheryl Riley and Uncle Borlinger Gummel, which is George Fisher. Um, and Annie Cheryl Riley and Uncle Borlinger, they're past now. And they were running a Wiradjuri language class at Alexandra Community Centre. And I found them. <laughs> I was like, oh, my gosh, language, oh, my gosh. I was so thirsty for it. I went there and they did um, once a week night classes. And then Uncle Stan, we only had four classes. Uncle Stan turns up. And, and this is a hilarious story. I love this bit. He comes to class and he sees me. And he asked me this question. Yama Bapin Numarang, is your dad... Good. Now, I only heard that first yama, so I knew there was a yes-no response. 
and dad, I had bumping. So I just went, Noah. So I look real deadly, even though I didn't know exactly what he was saying. And for the listeners, Noah means yes in Marathi. (laughs) And so I look real deadly. (laughs) That experience of like, he was really proud of me that I'd sort of come and actually chase the language. Now, I then lived with Auntie Cheryl O'Reilly and worked with Uncle Uncle Gidge and Uncle Boralinga on language resources and there was classes in school and we'd travel back on country and teach on weekends and stuff like that and I was really blessed. I was their shadow until they made me start teaching but you know Uncle Stan said he saw something in me, Uncle Gidge said he saw something in me, Auntie Cheryl said she saw something in me and, and Uncle Boralinga saw something in me but they all instructed me to teach. And then I moved back to Kara. In all of this, I'd had my son, Yingamara, and got a job at the school. Before long, they found out that I could speak language. I met Harry Lambsett. He was like, teach me language. Uncle, I'm still obviously always talking to your pop, uh, ringing him up and saying, oh, they want me to <laughs> do some language at this school. And he said, yeah, well, you know, make sure the mob there are happy with it and go for it. And um, started getting rhythm in some teaching of a few little year seven loat classes and stuff like that and he says the Tumut elders ring Uncle Stan and ask him if he would come and teach TAFE class for them a cert one two or three Uncle Stan rings me says I want you to do it Bob so I meet with the elders I bring Harry with me so Harry Lamfed along and we start teaching in Tumut to the elders after they approved us so we started teaching TAFE there in Tumut. And also within that time, the grad cert. So two years before the graduate certificate had started, Uncle Stan is ringing me saying, you have to do this course. <laughs> I'm like, I will, Uncle, I will. So Harry and I, we come and we do the course, you know. Now Uncle Stan is teaching the class and he's talking to the students and he's getting them to say, Dakangindo. And he was just getting them to respond like, Dakangindo means where are you? Dakangindo. And they are responding as if they're somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So they're saying, Karada, you know, I'm at Kara. I say, Baladungenna, Yamandumogeng. It says, I'm here, are you blind? <laughs> Uncle Stan cracked up. But did the graduate certificate, my last subject, we had the new cohort of students coming in. And Uncle Stan said, You're going to be teaching in the mornings. And we went to walk out to go to our class. And he said, Where are you going? And he laughed and he said, no, you're teaching now. And he got us to keep teaching for the rest of that week. And from that, he continues and continues now to instruct what teaching uh, we do and how we do it. And that's my language journey and I, and I teach here, instructed by your pop. And what does it mean to you to be continuing such a legacy for Wiradjuri people and playing such a vital role in language continuation and making sure that it is being passed down? It means everything to me. I think all of us have this dream, especially your grandfather, Uncle Christopher Kirkbrook, Anishira Riley and Uncle Borlinger had the dream of our people speaking fluent language, having fluent language back. It's so much bigger than us. It is our everything. It describes our culture, our spirit, our connection, our relation to everything else. It is our identity. To have that responsibility of passing it on, whoa, it's intense, but it is so, so special. And I feel so honoured and so privileged. And there's so much that I've been blessed by having my language. I don't think that I would have been able to 
have coped with a lot of things had I not had my language and culture to lift me. And I feel like passing that on helps my people cope and heal. And this year's NAIDOC theme is celebrating our elders. And last year, POP received the NAIDOC Lifetime Achievement Award at the 2022 uh, NAIDOC Awards. And it was such an honour, not just for POP, but for our whole family and also the Charleston University family that he works alongside, that makes sure his vision is being kept alive. What was that moment like for you when you saw him receive such special recognition for his lifetime of language revitalisation work? He is phenomenal. He is brilliant and he has worked so hard. And honestly, we look at what we have today. We've got it because of him. It's because of the elders that directed him as well. It's because of all that hard work. We have that. We have this dictionary that we can hold. We've got the tactile resources that we can actually hold on to and actually hear him speak. We can move forward with reclamation and we can become a community of speakers because of the work that he's done. I'm grateful that they recognised him and see all the hard work that he's done. And the theme for NAIDOC this year is all about celebrating our elders. What elders inspire you and have made an impact on your life? The people in my language world, they're my family. You know, Uncle Stan, phenomenal. The elders that lifted me and who I stand on their shoulders our Uncle Stan Grant, Uncle Christopher Kirkbride, Aunty Cheryl Riley, Uncle Borlinger Gummel. They're the people that little wonderbine naughty girl <laughs> under their wing and proper taught me and guided me and actually nurtured me so that I could be strong. I'm nothing without all of them. I couldn't stand without them. But I've also got other elders that are constantly lifting me as well. They're just not in the language. But we're talking about your pop, and I'd just like to say I couldn't have done what I am doing now without him nurturing me, lifting me, teaching me in his gentle, most loving and caring way. And if I'm paying respects to my elders and if this is for our elders, then I pay that to him, not the Goel, my other dad. And what is your vision for the future of Radri language? that we are fluent, that we have a community of speakers, that we move out of revitalisation with a few fluent speakers blooded throughout our community and we move into a community of speakers. That community of speakers have kids that are then first language speaking Wiradjuri. That's my vision. Mandongo, Tish, thank you so much for your time and your beautiful words. It's been an honour to speak with you today. Thank you so much for sharing your journey, your vision and everything that you love about Radri language and culture. And that was Letitia Harris speaking with NITV Radio. And it's now time for a quick break. When we return, we share a story by NITV Radio's Sierra Schrader, who speaks with an Aboriginal aged care worker from Broome about the importance of Indigenous representation in the aged care sector. And we catch up with Wiradjuri woman, journalist and TV presenter Ray Johnston, one of the co-hosts joining Ernie Dingo to explore the continent on the fifth season of Going Places with Ernie Dingo. Stay tuned. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Welcome back. I'm your host, Luana Grant, and you're listening to NITV Radio. 
Now to a story by NITV Radio's Sierra Schrader, who spoke with Herman, an Aboriginal aged care worker from Broome, about the importance of Indigenous representation in the aged care sector. Herman, who hails from Broome, decided to make a career change at the age of 55. Having previously worked in maintenance and machine operation, he wanted a job that would benefit his local Broome community and provide personal fulfilment. Although he hadn't considered before, he found the answer in aged care as an Aboriginal aged care worker. Today we speak with Herman about his journey into the aged care sector. First of all, thank you for joining us today on NITV Radio, Herman. Oh, yeah. What inspired your decision to pursue a career change and enter the aged care sector? Uh, well, I was working and I was thinking, uh, yeah, I need a steady, cooler job. <laughs> then went around the back and I saw aged care, so I thought, oh, I might give it a go, you know, just see how it, see what's happening. And so, uh, but I know, you know, there were old people inside there, but I, I decided to give it a go. So I went there and filled out the forms and put it in there. And in a couple of days, they called me to come for an interview. So, so I had everything ready, you know, all my details. So they gave me a job. I thought I was too old, but no, 55 wasn't old. <laughs> yeah, so I just did some buddy shift for two weeks. Uh, three hours a day, you know, like did what they wanted me to do. Then they asked me at the end of the two weeks, uh, how you feel? I said, oh, yeah, not too bad. I said, yeah, it's all right. And so they gave me another two weeks with a body shift with other girls. This time I do like six hours or something like that a day until about, about three weeks it, it happened. Then they brought me back and said, all right, you can have a job. But I wanted to do night shift. So, yeah, they said, we got a shift for you, a night shift. I started night shift. Yeah, it was good. Well, at what point did you realize that working in aged care was like the right path for you? Oh, well, once I started there and I, I, you know, I sort of felt like I could do it, you know. I just kept going and participated with everything what they tell me to do and stuff like that. And I, that's good. I like it, you know. They give you training and stuff like that, you know. So you learn, you know, how to use the spreadsheet. Was moving the people around, the little crane thing to lift people up, uh, standing up hoists and stuff like that. So I thought, oh, this is good. I liked it, yeah. Got along with people, you know, the old people. You know, I talk to them and help them along. When they want something, I go there straight away, you know, and they tell you, and pretty good, the old people. So the so. primary people you care for are, are the Aboriginal people? Yeah, yeah, most of the Aboriginal people, yeah. So from your perspective, Herman, what is the yeah. significance of having Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people working in the care and support sector? I reckon it, it, it'll be really good. You know, Aboriginal people and Torres Strait Islander people, you know, more there. You know, they might like it, you know, they might take it on, you know, because there's hardly any of them here, you know, like in Broome. There's only three in the whole facility. And they used to have people uh, working there, and they were good, but, you know, family thing, you know, and then they've gone, you know. Well, could you share some challenges you encountered when starting your role? And how did you overcome them? Well, uh, you know, it's like, um, sort of, it's like natural to me, you know, like, I just fall into it, you know. Easy to uh, fall into the, the job, you know. It's not hard, and, you know. It don't take much to learn, you know, and to understand those people, you know, residents. So the role yeah. came naturally to you? Yeah, you know, just just fall into, like, yeah, just natural, you know. I, I, you know, I don't know about other people, but for me it, it was like that. I felt like that. 
What advice would you offer to other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who are considering a career in aged care? Well, you know, I mean, they should give it a go and try and because there's a, you know, you can travel a long way, you know, with aged care. If you didn't want to stay one place, you know, you work one place for a year and you get a you know, certificate and stuff like that. And then you can, you know, ring the agency and you could travel anywhere, you know. They take people anywhere, all over the country, if they want to learn about other cultures too, you know, in, in aged care. Well, um, Herman, thank you very much for taking your time to speak with us today on NRTV Radio. Okay, thank you. Visit sbs.com.au slash NITV Radio. Staying in the NAIDOC Week theme, after the success of the 2022 NAIDOC Cup, the Legacy Competition is back in 2023 and we will see teams from Football New South Wales and Northern New South Wales Football go head-to-head at Valentine Sports Park to take home the coveted trophy. NITV Radio's Sierra Schrader caught up with one of the coaches. After the success of the 2022 NAIDOC Cup, the Legacy Competition is back this year and we will see teams from Football New South Wales and Northern New South Wales Football go head-to-head in July. This event is not just about football, but creating an inclusive community that recognises and celebrates Indigenous culture. I'm pleased to say I'm joined by Alicia Lyons, the NAIDOC Cup coach from Northern New South Wales Football Team. So first of all, thank you for joining us today on NITV Radio, Alicia. So the NAIDOC Cup was a great success last year and now it's back. How would you describe your level of excitement for this tournament and where will it be held this year? Um, I'm excited by the depths of the squad. So already we've had a training session. Um, this year it's a bigger tournament and I look forward to taking the kids away and being competitive against football in New South Wales. Uh, this year it is being played at Valentine Sports Park in Sydney. So coaching for the Northern New South Wales team in the Cup this year, is um, it's a fantastic opportunity. Can you sort of share what it means to you personally? Yeah, for me it was an honour to be selected again by Northern to represent them and coach for them in the 2023 NAIDOC Cup. Um, it gives me an opportunity to represent my culture while doing what I love. Could you actually provide some insight into the selection process for the squad? Uh, are there all these kids from all over New South Wales? Yeah, so players for the NAIDOC Cup, uh, Northern New South Wales called for an EOI for registered players to be selected. Um, the selected coaches met on two occasions to determine the squads. I believe we had 82 players express their interest and... 63 of those were selected from a mix of community and Premier League clubs. So the Football Legacy Program focuses on involving First Nation kids in football. So from your perspective, why do you think opportunities like the NAIDOC Cup are significant for First Nation kids in terms of their engagement? And how would this actually encourage more First Nation kids to participate in the game? Um, I guess, you know, to be able to represent your culture while playing football is a big thing for First Nation children. It gives them that sense of belonging, that that they're being accepted. You know, the country itself is moving forward and showcasing that First Nation children, you know, can play higher levels of football. So lastly, what message would you like to send to players, supporters and the wider community about the significance of the NAIDOC Cup and the Indigenous representation in football? It provides us an opportunity to showcase 
our First Nation children that they can play at higher levels. The NAIDOC Cup being played each year, you know, gives them that opportunity to work towards to achieve, to be selected um, and showcase their own potential. Awesome. Well, I hope it all goes well and we're really looking forward to hearing about it. Excellent. Thank you. <laughs> Lisa, thank you very much for taking your time to speak with us uh, today on NITV Radio. Thank you. Have a good day. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Welcome back. I'm your host, Luana Grant, and you're listening to NITV Radio. Wiradjuri woman and TV presenter Ray Johnston will be joining Aaron Faso, Bianca Hunt and Narelda Jacobs alongside Ernie Dingo to explore the continent and dive into the entertaining stories of everyday locals who call these places home on the fifth season of Going Places with Ernie Dingo. The new season will premiere on NITV and SBS on Saturday the 8th of July at 7.30pm. NITV Radio's Bertrand Tungandami caught up with Ray to chat about the places she visited, the people she met, and what to expect from the new season. Going Places with Annie Dingo Travel Series is back for a new season. This time around, Annie is travelling and exploring the country, not by himself, but with some extraordinary storytellers. One of them is Wiradjuri Woman and Science and Technology Editor Ray Johnston, a regular on our program. Ray is joining us on NITV Radio not to talk about technology and scientific discoveries as usual, but to talk to us about going places with Annie Dingo and her participation in the series. Ray Johnston, welcome to NITV Radio again. Thank you so much for having me. And and funny you should mention that we're not talking science and technology because all of the people that I met throughout this series and all of the stories that we covered did have a little bit of a science or technology angle to them. So I've got to sneak it in there somewhere. It's got to be there. <laughs> so it's not a trouble. <laughs> you go there and you start telling people about mathematics, STEM and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> no, no, it's it's more that they get to tell me, you know. Science isn't just something that you learn in the lab. It's not just something that you learn in university. It's something that you learn from country and it's something that's passed down to you, your, your ancestral knowledge about place. So the people that I got to speak to hold that deep knowledge and they were very generous with it and, and they passed it on to me. And as a viewer, you'll be able to hear some of it as well. But I also did get to speak to some people who do hold more traditional science jobs, like, for example, a marine biologist working on the Derwent River. So there's some very, very fascinating stories to dig into. So the Derwent River is one of the places you explored and uh, you made some discoveries that you bring to our screens in a few days' time. Uh, tell us about those places. So I was lucky enough to spend my time for this season on Lutruwita down in Tasmania. So up in the northeast, I went on the Wakalina Walk, which was a, a beautiful walk through an area that people might know better as the Bay of Fires. And I met some incredible people there. I can't wait for you to see how beautiful that place is and the stories we were able to, to tell from there. I also went into the Tamar Valley for a little bit of food and wine exploration, which was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, and I also walked through the streets of Hobart after jumping on the Derwent River and learned about 
that place, learnt about that city from a Palawa perspective and the incredible history of that area that I think should be compulsory for anyone who is landing in Hobart to go do this walk. It, it was a beautiful walking tour uh, to really learn about the area and and how it came to be the way it is today. Yeah, for many of us thinking about a trip to Tasmania and Hobart in particular, we only see the Salamanca markets as one of the must see places uh, with, uh, of course, seafood on the menu. What else uh, can you tell us about uh, Tasmania and Hobart uh, of the beaten track? One of the really unique things about going places as a travel documentary show is that it is through the eyes of people who live there. And we get to spend a whole day with an individual that lives and is connected to this place in a really deep way. We just follow them about their day as they do their normal job. And then at the end, we get to sit down and have a really good yarn after we've already connected, after we've already you know, made friendships in some circumstances. So you really get to know them as a person and understand their perspective of these places and what it is that makes it so special to them. And most of the people that we are talking to that we're spending time with throughout this series are Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people. So they are able to share with us their ancestral connection and knowledge as well. Uh, some of the people that we're talking to are white fellas. So there's a real mix of experiences of country and of place and what it means to these people. And I think that's what really makes it unique. And it's what I'm very excited to share. Yeah, Lutrida, Tasmania has a unique and rather sinister place in Australian history. It's a place where genocide was almost uh, fully successful with uh, its First Nations population almost wiped out completely. Is this tragic past uh, mentioned in the documentary series? Yes, absolutely. And in particular with the walking tour of Hobart that I did with uh, Nunnami Skullthorpe Green is a, a fantastic young woman. She's got a fascinating story and history of her own, her family history. She's a, a um, Palawa uh, woman and she also has connections uh, to the Central Desert as well. So she's got... Uh, but her white side of her family as well is also incredible. I don't want to give too much away, but <laughs> I think that the perspective that she was able to share through her walking tour and through the history of what happened in Hobart uh, was very, very eye-opening and very important for anyone to hear. But also hearing the perspective of the the young mob that are taking people on tours up in the northeast on the on the Wakalina Walk as well. You, you learn about their history and the strength of mob in Lutrawita to carry on a culture that was attempted to be removed from them forever. Yeah, they're, they're staunch down there. I, I have so much love for them with you know, what they've been able to maintain and reclaim and the passion that they have for their culture is just absolutely incredible and it was a, an honour to experience that. Yeah, I can't wait to see your episode, especially based on our regular conversations about uh, science and technology. I guess you'd be seeing things from a different lens and telling stories from a unique perspective, one that would differ from Annie himself and uh, the other storytellers. What particular thing struck you the most while going places? 
oh, look, I think it was just yeah, the connections that we made with the people. You know, I knew that I was visiting some fantastic places, but I realised the relationships that we'd be building while we were there as well. I, I think that yeah, it's it's the best job in the world. You know, <laughs> you get to travel to ultimately what are tourist destinations, and that people just know is somewhere to go visit, take beautiful photos, and move on. I think the experiences that I had were absolutely amazing, and I can't wait to watch it, and I can't wait for everyone else to watch it as well. Did you get to experiment some crazy things like uh, your regular science segments are usually full of surprises? People might be looking for something and then end up with a totally unpredictable outcome or come up with a rather some unorthodox processes. And especially talking about the Tamar I can think of maybe some out-of-this-world winemaking processes, endless possibilities, maybe wine grapes stuff from the moon. Uh, Look, I, I understand why you would not be surprised if that was the story that came out from me about yeah. that area. <laughs> but, but it really was more just about immersing myself in the day-to-day of how these you know, people that have decided to share their time with us uh, are, are working on and working with the country that they're living on. I will say that I do did get to play with some fun gadgets, okay. especially on the Derwent River. That, that you will <laughs> that you will get to you will get to see and you will get to witness uh, in that particular episode. But I think yeah, you know, one of the great things about this season as well is you know, it, it's not just me that you're getting to watch doing these things. Yeah, Ernie is in every single episode covering. WA and and also just you know talking about the stories that we went off and did without him uh, and you know we've got Narelda who is through Victoria you know Aaron is covering Queensland and the Northern Territory we had Bianca in New South Wales so re- we really do get to cover a vast array of experiences and we've all got our own unique perspectives yeah. on you know, country and the people that we're talking to and how we engage in those conversations as well. Yeah. So I think when it all comes together, the mix of all our different personalities and interests will make for a very, very fascinating show. NITV Radio. Share our stories on Facebook. And that's all we have time for on today's program. Make sure you tune in to NITV this Thursday evening for the premiere of drama series Firebite at 9.30pm, directed by Warwick Thornton and starring Rob Collins. You can listen back to the show anytime online or catch any of the stories on our website at sbs.com.au. You can also find us on Facebook. NITV Radio will be back on Friday, 1 till 2pm, with more stories from right across the country. I'm your host, Luana Grant, Mandangor. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah,